Hi, thanks for joining me. This is a show I've pieced together. Um, over uh, the last four years, I've had some amazing guests on the show. Um, so I thought um, I'm going to pull together a, a show of some of, in my opinion, some of the highlights uh, I've had. Uh, this will probably be part one. Let's call it part one. Um, but the first show is going to include people like... Uh, you know, Paul McGeekin, uh, Horace Panther, Skin from Hipsway, uh, and some of the conversations I've had with them over the years. First up, um, I've been lucky enough to have James Grant, Love and Money, uh, frontman on the show a couple of times, uh, June 2018. Uh, he was in for two hours chatting about various different things. Um, and a uh, very entertaining fella, James is. Um, but I asked him a little bit about football, because he always talks about football during his shows. Uh, so I asked him um, about his football prowess and uh, what kind of player he was. This is James Grant from uh, June 2018. A few weeks ago we had uh, uh, injured Kevin McDermott in here, um, a football injury. Um, do you still play football or have you hung it about? Uh, no, I've, I, I mean, I would, wouldn't mind getting back to it. I used to play every Wednesday night and um, we used to play every Saturday. And the, the bands, I used to play with Kevin on a Friday, Kevin and, and Justin, was like Kevin McDermott Orchestra, Love Money. Did you have a team? Um, we had a team called the Angels, uh. yeah. And in fact, we played all the bands and pubs in, uh, in Glasgow and there was a tournament. And we beat Gunn 7 4 in the final. The final? Yeah. And uh, what kind of football? I scored four, incidentally. Uh, what kind of footballer was James Grant? Uh, were you uh, up front, midfield? Up front. Yeah. Up front. I honestly could stand in front of open goals and bang the ball into the net <laughs> all night long. Never get bored. Oh, cool. I know, because Kevin said that. We were talking about stuff and he said... Oh, I was greedy. Uh, Kevin was a good player. He says he retired and then he's come out of retirement and he's badly regretting it at the moment. He could hardly walk. It was he's, yeah, he was a good player, Kevin. Um, he, he was quite a hard player, but like hard but fair. He did put me up in the air once. Is that kind of Mary Hill hard? Ah, <laughs> no, he was, he was good. He was a really good guy to have in your team. If you're playing with him, it wasn't good to play against. Is that right? You always picked him first, have you? Yeah, he was a good player. Yeah, that was good. Um, uh, 2016, uh, November, uh, I was delighted to be able to speak to uh, Mike Peters. Uh, He was going to be on for 10 minutes. Um, but we got chatting uh, and it just drifted away Mike Peters is frontman for The Alarm The Alarm is a band that um, I have followed for many many years I've seen them live many times I've met Mike a few times um, uh, and I was delighted when he agreed to come on the show to chat about his new track about The Alarm uh, and we got chatting for over 20 minutes So this is Mike Peters, um, November 2016, on Cam Glen Radio. Hello Mike, how are you? Hello Brian, good evening. Thanks for joining us in Cam Glen tonight. It's a pleasure. Good stuff. in Scotland. (laughs) Yeah, you've got a long history going back, bringing the band to Scotland, yeah? 
Yeah, very long time. Uh, you know, we first uh, started came up before we recorded the alarm. Uh, we can remember coming up and playing uh, in places like the Bungalow Bar in Paisley and along the the coastline there and uh, in uh, Kakodi and places like that. So, cool. Yeah. Yeah, the bungalow is still going strong. We we played there a few a few weeks ago, Mike. But uh, I wanted to ask you, tenth um, of October, twenty fifteen, two thousand fans in the Millennium Centre in Wales, man the cameo jacket, celebrating thirty years of alarm. How did that feel for you? Uh, well, it felt um, like uh, the start of something which is what you always hope when you get to uh, milestones in your career, yeah. uh, that there's still a lot more to come. And I, and I think that's what it felt like to me. It was our the biggest gig we played in Britain in in decades. Yeah. Um, it was a full house, we had an orchestra, music felt fresh. It felt like we had a lot of places to go um, beyond that, You know, which is all you can hope for when you're a musician. You, you aim for milestones and with albums and with tours and periods of your music and then you always hope there's going to be somewhere else to go and the door doesn't close and it doesn't get to the end you know I've always uh, loved being in a band I've been grateful to be part of uh, a musical entity for such a long time and, and long may it continue that, that's, that's always been my uh, my hope that the enjoyment continues and that people still want to come and see what the band's all about and hear my voice and hear what I've got to say in my song so I'm a very lucky man in that respect Cool I mean how did that show come about? I mean what well, was it, thought? Yeah to be honest the seed was uh, was sown when uh, I was invited by the BBC to perform yeah. uh, a version of Declaration on our 30th anniversary of that particular album so that yeah. would be in 2014 and uh, they said look you can we've, we've got the National Orchestra of Wales here. Why don't you do something for them? And if you can get it together fast, it was it's pretty quick uh, in uh, project. Really, we only had thirty days to turn it around and write string arrangements for a full orchestra, which we did with the, the arranger John Quirk, who did an amazing job. Yeah. And then that 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 show was really behind closed doors at the BBC for a radio show. Yeah. And awesome. then all of a sudden they wanted to record it for for uh, broadcast on the internet. And unbeknownst to me, they'd got the whole of U2 to record Blaze of Glory from the Declaration album, oh, sending a message of how important the album was to them and, and to our relationship together. And so uh, that that went, became a very viral moment, yep. uh, them sort of saying they're paying their respects to the alarm. So that triggered off a lot of new interest in the band. Um, and, uh, and, so, and, and then that... It was recorded behind the scenes at the Millennium Centre in Cardiff, and the management said, "Look, we've got to do this in the main hall with yeah. all the fans there," and yeah. and that's how, and so that's what led to it. Oh, cool. Um, I mean, and then today you're putting out um, a brand new single um, in the Poppy Fields. Um, I mean, brilliant song. Um, I mean, why is that song so important to you? Well, again, it, it, it was uh, the centrepiece of the Millennium Centre concert, and it seemed to. Um, because it, it digs back into the history of the band, it references uh, signposts along the way that, that from the very beginning to where we are, and and it, it seemed to tie together things like '68 Guns and yeah. Blaze of Glory with with the modern era songs with My Town and 45 yeah. RPM and yeah, Without yeah. Fight, those kind of songs, and uh, so. It was, um, and the song itself finished in the in the Millennium Centre with a cascade of poppies falling from the sky, oh. like they had done thirty years earlier when we 
recorded the strength single and finished the video with with, with poppies falling down on the band and and the, the poppies been associated with the group since 1982 and uh, with it the the poppies falling in the sky album coming out at this time of year we yeah. thought well it's armistice day let's pay our respects not just to the forces and people we've lost along the way that have made the sacrifices for our generation to have the sort of life we lead and the and, but but we, we choose it to remember in our community, in the Alarm family, we, we remember people who are, have been at the gigs in the past but can't be with us today, people yeah. who've climbed mountains with our Love, Hope, Strength Foundation, who, who've lost their personal battle against battle. cancer yeah. and situations like that. And so that that's on the 11th hour of today, that's what our community in the Alarm, that's what we remember in our family. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, how do people get hold of the single, Mike? Uh, well, it's it's online, obviously, in, in yeah. iTunes, and it's Amazon. It's in record stores, the 10-inch EP, although it's quite limited, so it might be quite hard to get that. Uh, but it's it's um, it's obviously on Spotify and all those things. But if, yeah. you, if you go to the Alarm.com website tonight, you'll see a whole video of the song. It's on a, on the front page of the website. You can hear it there, and it's part of the Poppy's Falling from the Sky album, which, again, is available so online. It's out in stores. It's on. You can get it from thealarm.com. It's uh, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be playing it right after uh, we stop chatting. I've got a, a few things, a few questions. Few people have been getting in touch with me all all week, Great, mate. Right. Just is so I'll reach out to you. What what if I said the date to you, the sixth of February, nineteen eighty three? Yeah. Would, would that I pull that anything was. forward? <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I was in Glasgow. Yes, <laughs> at uh, Tiffany's playing with, and it was uh, the start of it. I think it was the first night of U2's War Tour. Uh, I seem to remember. I think we played with. with, with was that right? No, it's not. No. <laughs> Imagine me cutting across Mike Peters. If I oh, say, yeah, if yeah. I said the Glasgow Apollo. Oh right! Oh, eighty-three. Eighty-three. With stiff little fingers. No, that was eighty-two. Was it? Yeah. yeah. There, there you go. <laughs> this is live radio yeah, for you. <laughs> yeah, we, that was that was nineteen eighty two when we played with um SLF. It yeah. was their it was their last ever gig last in the band when they were breaking up and we played Newcastle the night before. Uh and I remember it I, it was a great gig, but I, I remember them custard pieing each other at the end of the night so strange. But it was a fantastic gig and uh it was, I think we we built made a great relationship with the SLF audience yeah. there that it was Jake's way of handing his audience over to his, and here's a young band that got similar values to us. And um, Jake was, you know, we knew Jake from when we were called 17 when we were playing in I was the going Bongo to ask bar. you that. I mean, that's, that yeah. was the first time I ever saw the alarm that night. I got the date wrong, but that was the first date, first night I wow. ever saw the alarm. I went to see Stiff Little Fingers, that was the last ever show. We were all kind of, and this, this support band come on. And blew us away. Me, I was there with my, my pal Stephen Williams, and we went the next day oh. looking for the single by yeah. the alarm. We went to the record shop. We got this band the alarm, and he did. It was as cool as anything. Yeah, well, it was. It, you know, it was a great time for us. We still got a lot of fans that, that like yourself, were, were came into contact with the alarm for the first time then. And um, you know, I have to thank Jake for giving us that opportunity because uh, he again he'd been around when we were called 17 we met him at a gig in London oh wow and he was he, he lived up to all the expectation you know he listened to our demo tape he wrote some notes about it he invited us to meet him one day so he could 
go through what he thought about the band. And cool. he, he really helped us to become the alarm. Yeah, so he, he's, a, he's a great guy and we're still friends this day and I have still respect what he does. He's a great artist in his own right. He stuck yeah. to his, his uh, beliefs all the way through. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they're still as valid today as they ever were. No, they are. I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to have Jake on the show in a couple of weeks' time. He's coming Brilliant. to Glasgow and they put out uh, a live album from the, the Barland and we chat to him about that. Yeah, well, that's the, the Barrows is their spiritual home. You that's know, the one, St. And, Patrick's and, uh, Night. You know, and we shared a drummer for many years with Steve Grant, who's played right. at SLS now, and uh, you know they, they've uh, we've got a lot of affiliation with, with the band, so we're uh, you know long may they continue. Okay, quick question for you. Uh, earlier in the year, we had Eddie McDonald on the show. Oh yeah, you know Mucker, um, and yeah, basically asked him. Yeah, well, well, I hope he didn't give the answer to this question. Um, basically asked Eddie what was his favourite ever. Um, live alarm show. Have you any idea what he picked out? His favourite, his yeah. personal favourite. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Sh- probably one of the Barrowland shows. No, nah, like well, wait, he picked out the the Los Angeles gig. Oh, the UCLA gig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was your yeah, recollections yeah. of that day? Uh, well, it was uh, the alarm, and it the, you know the original bands. That was our finest time period as a band yeah. I think live on stage brilliant um, you, I've just spent a year playing that album uh, yep. live myself and it's uh, you know, in, and, and it, it's such an energy to the set list songs um, you know my personal favourite gig happened about three or four months prior to that gig yeah. uh, in the late 85 we played at Cal State Fullerton and that, some of it was filmed for, for a cutting edge TV show on MTV and that was an amazing gig Brilliant. But uh, that period, I think that then we were all pulling in the same direction as individuals. We, yeah. As the fans, we were, we all wanted the same uh, goal. Uh, and after that, everything really changed for us. You know, I think the one thing we didn't have in the alarm that say SLS had, they had Gordon Ogilvy behind them, yeah. someone they could turn to. It wasn't in the band. Yeah, like you two had Paul McGuinness. Yeah, or, or you know, go back and you look at the Beatles and Brian Epstein. They yeah. had those mentors who, who you know we came from a small town from north wales and, and we didn't have that we didn't have somebody who could help educate us a little bit or you know just to take the the rough edge off our naivety or, or glue us together now and again when, when we were at all point help yeah. us when we were uncertain yeah so well, those, most bands struggle like that don't they they really do and i think you do need that fifth member who can help you yes yeah, so we've been removed all, you know, we, we had our manager, Ian Wilson, he was great. Yeah. Up to that point, Ian was, it was his idea to play the UCLA concert, but not all the band bought into Ian. There was always a bit of misgiving about him or, or whatever, and um, unfortunately, he, he didn't quite have enough sway to really hold us all together. And, uh, and so when things started happening behind the scenes of the band, say, you know... Um, couple of guys, you know, Nigel and Dave married into American families and started yeah, yeah. to live and spend all their time in America and all of a sudden it became difficult to be in a band and we had loss in the group, you know, parents yeah. passing away, sisters having brain hemorrhages, things oh. like that. And we, we just didn't know how to deal with it. We weren't old enough to oh. you know, we'd been in this rock and roll band living the life and, and a lot of hard times had passed us by because we were protected from that by being in a band, in dressing rooms and on the stages, and when when real life hit home, we didn't quite have the skills to um, to deal with it to keep ourselves in uh, keep our, our uh, unity going. 
But that's not to say we didn't achieve what we, no. we what I think we were capable of. We, we achieved, you know, and that was a great a great thing. That's a great time for the band. The other thing you told us about that you and him sat across the guitars and wrote a World Cup song for the Wales team. Is that true? Uh, I think we kind of messed around with it yeah. a couple of times. Nothing specific. It was, you know, we were always trying to come up with something like that. Yeah. Um, we, it, that would have been when, uh, that was probably around about 85 when uh, when you lot knocked us out. That's exactly what he said to me. He says, you, <laughs> Mike and I had this idea for a song, but you guys knocked us out, so thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and uh, we were at, Eddie and I were at the game in, at, uh, at Minion Park, you know, in Jockstein. Passed away. Passed away and, uh, yeah. Mike Mike England punched the head of the FAW afterwards for being disrespectful. Aww. And uh, yeah, it was uh, Mickey Thomas gave me a shirt from that night. <laughs> and are you, are you are you starting work on the World Cup song for this Wales team? <laughs> I think the Manics or the Super Furies uh, have that job. I think, think no, I think I think <laughs> I think uh, if it went to a hashtag vote on Twitter, it would come out as Mike Peters. Um, hey, I've got, baby. I've got a few questions. People have buzzed in. Um, Mike, Jim Reed's going to has asked me a couple of things. What's it like to have the same birthday as George Harrison? Yeah, it's quite uh, <laughs> quite something. I I, um, I met was lucky enough and privileged enough to meet George Harrison one night, and he's really? a fantastic man. Oh. I met him at a Bob Dylan concert and uh, oh, wow. got talking to him uh, in Birmingham. And uh, I never said a word to the rest of the alarm that, that I <laughs> met him because I thought they'd go mad, you know, they'd be, oh, how come you got to meet him and we didn't? And the second, the night afterwards, we went to London, we were recording the Change album. I went to see Bob Dylan at Wembley Arena with the rest of the alarm. And, and before the show, we walked into this backstage bar and jo- there was George Harrison was at the bar. That's and we all stopped in our tracks and went, look, George Harrison said Twisted Brother, you know, and Eddie and I, and then George Harrison looked over and said, all right, Mike, how's it oh. going? <laughs> <laughs> you know like, that? The chins hit the floor when they thought I was friendly with George Super. Harrison. Super. I knew for a couple of days, met him for a couple well, of days. Well, yeah, you uh, could dine out in that story for a while. You met George right. Harrison. very, very gracious and very witty, and there's uh, a lot more stories where that came from. Fantastic. <laughs> couple of messages. Sue McDermott's uh, got in touch saying, just love watching the videos and songs and alarm. Sending much love and healing prayers to you, Jules, and family. I hope to see you both again in London the 20th of May next year. Yeah, we'll be in May, but we'll be in Glasgow, I think, on the 13th. Looking well, forward so, to that. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be, uh, you know, really, uh, it was going to be this this uh, this coming month, but unfortunately, uh, my wife, Jules, died out of breast cancer. She just had a second chemotherapy session this afternoon. Yeah. I've just come from the hospital, and brought my dear. boy to the football, I'm chatting to you, but... Uh, we, it, unfortunately, um, that sort of shadow has come over our lives again, and, uh, and we've had to deal with it. But it's actually what the, the fans have been amazing. They are t- totally understood why we've had to move the shows, yeah. and um, absolutely behind us all the way. And, 100%. and that, it's what helps us get through it. To be honest, it yeah, was, I mean, I've had loads really, of messages. They to make it. Loads oh. of messages. Mikey Callan saying, just let Mike know we're all thinking of Jules, him, and everybody else is going through their own personal oh. battles. Uh, he's an inspiration the way he's faced these things up. Um, uh, David West from America has asked, uh, can you ask Mike uh, about the gathering in America? Is that still on? Is that still going to happen? It's still on, yeah, April the 22nd Good, yeah. in uh, UCLA, where, where the Spirit of 86 concert took place. So it's going to be a, a special event, you know, that's, um, we're really looking forward to that. And that's kind of the start of 
the touring season again, which will bring us to uh, Glasgow a few weeks later. Great. We'll be going around Britain for all of May, and there's lot, some more dates to be added. We just added um, an appearance at the Bearded Theory Festival in Derbyshire yesterday, and that's I'm really looking forward to that because we're playing with Skunk and Anthony, Slave, um, oh, New Model Army are playing as well. It's going to be a great, great weekend, so looking forward to being part of that. No, that's great, and as I say, I'm, I'm glad, I mean, obviously, you know, health-wise, Jules is, is not great, um, but she's getting well looked after. And I tell load. you what, she's doing amazing, I've just been in hospital all day with her, and she has been incredible, she's got a great bond with the nursing staff, the NHS has been brilliant. Amazing. You know, we, we, we've been talking about all sorts of things today, but she's so positive, and I have to say, I came out of the hospital with her, and we went on a five-mile walk, that's how wow. brilliant she's doing, and uh, she's really uh, stepped up to her fitness to get through this, and, and using that as part of her armoury to, to get through She's having some pretty intense chemo, and it, on December the 23rd, she's she's going to have in chemo once a week for nine weeks. So yeah. it, she's going through a pretty intense time. Intense, yeah. But she's dealing with great humility and, and you know, what, what she's, uh, um, how she's doing it. It's, it's really inspirational for me to see as a husband and a carer and a friend. Uh, yeah. I'm just absolutely so blown away where she's coping with it. Cause it's, it it's a very physical attack on oh, her. No she's doubt. two surgeries. She's, you know, struggling with her hair and a womanhood, but she's yep. really determined to hang on to her dignity and she's been amazing so it'll be a great event at the gathering and beyond and, yeah, you know, and we'll I've been lucky enough to work with Lydia and David and Nicola Johnson and Brian Finney up here with the hashtag yeah. Gigs for the Love Hope Strength um, yeah, great people yeah I mean I mean, that's obviously something you're heavily involved in you've you set up how did, how did that come about well it, uh, because of my own uh, um journey with cancer i've been obviously living with it for 21 years now and um and in 2007 i was having a second run in with leukemia i was having yeah. a, a big treatment regime with chemotherapy myself and i just felt like it was time to pay back the nhs and so we started uh, i started an event to climb snowden and raise funds for <laughs> nhs in wales and you know obviously it spilled out a few years later climbing everest Kilimanjaro. Uh, um, and we've done Ben Nevis. Yeah, yeah. Cool, you know. that's a, I had a message from Ashley Gray um, from Cumbernauld sending you best regards of doing uh, uh, doing Ben Nevis well, we next raised, year. We raised some really good money on Ben Nevis, and uh, which we were uh, so far gone to the the beats and uh, cancer centre in in Glasgow, cool. and uh, we're talking with Maggie's. In fact, we're talking about Maggie's uh, cancer centres today because they do such amazing work. It started in Scotland, but it's becoming something that happening popping up all over britain now and uh so that, that's something we, we've got some fun to put back into that we want to give to maggie's as well so Brilliant. yeah we'll ho hopefully do ben nevis again we, have, we couldn't do it last year because i relapsed and we had um glastonbury and all yeah, that and then yeah. this year we we it's happened to jules so whether we can commit to more than one event we're not yeah. quite certain yet we'll be back to scotland before cool. long cool. we loved uh, climbing ben nevis Oh, on a serious matter, Stuart Hodkinson uh, got in touch with me, passing on his regards to you and all the family, and asking, "Did you remember to put the bins out on the right day?" <laughs> yeah, I did. Funny enough, I've got, I've got good at that now. I'm home. There you go. There you go. Work. 
Yeah, got a couple of, a couple of more questions, and we're going to play in the poppy fields, Mike. We're really so grateful for you joining us on Cam Glen tonight. Oh, thanks, Glen. Thanks for having the show, A couple of last questions. James O'Neill's asked me. He's, he's heard you do loads of covers. Um, Bob Dylan, The Dam, The Ramones, The Clash. Um, he's seen. He's even seen you cover Like a Virgin. Um, uh, his yeah, favourite. Uh, his favourite is Pinball Wizard from the Barland in 1985. Uh, you want uh, to know what your yeah, favourite song? I love that. In fact, um, I played a gig in um, New Haven in Connecticut uh, just in September, and the uh, the guys who were opening the show were were all massive alarm fans, and they knew how to play Pinball Wizard like we used to play it in Glasgow. Again, you've referred. So we did it together on the encore. It was pretty fantastic. Yeah, cool as. So, uh, yeah, it's a great. I love Pinball Wizard. It's uh, you know the Who uh, helped uh, there to, to me. They they really probably one of the biggest influences on the Alarm. You know, in certainly in the songwriting uh, mode because uh, Townsend could show his anger, but he could also show his sensitivity. You know, when, if you think of Won't Get Fooled Again, then yeah, yeah. something like Behind Blue Eyes. Uh, a night and day in terms of uh, songs, but brilliant lyrics, and uh, often that gets forgotten about Pete Townsend. I think his lyrics are amazing yeah. uh, because his guitar playing so, so good. You, you, you tend to focus on that, but you know, uh, and it must be frustrating for him writing all those incredible lyrics, and then some blonde bloke after singing <laughs> instead of him. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But what a voice he's got! Right? Yeah, Honestly, I mean he's incredible. You know, so great, brilliant band. Love it. Got a couple of more questions. I mean, last night, um, uh, talking to songwriters, and another another uh, songwriter passed away last night, Leonard Cohen. Um, Maureen McDermott from Dubai has been in touch. Can you ask Mike what his favourite Leonard Cohen song was? Do you have any, any favourites? Um, well, I, I, to be quite honest, I don't know a lot about Leonard Cohen. Yeah, I'm I, I've got to hold my hand up here. Um, he's one of those guys that sort of has passed me by. But somebody I still got on my list of people I want to discover. Yeah, yeah. And um, my friend Dave Salt, who was one of the crew members on with the Alarm in 1985, 86, he he crewed for us at the UCLA gig. You can see him running across the stage at right. one point on the film. Um, he had ended up going off to work for status quo for, for many years, and then he was Leonard Cohen's tour manager on the last tour. And he was always phoning me up saying, "You've got to come and see Leonard. You know this is." You know, it's not going to be that many more. You know, oh, and uh, I've, I've got to get there. And I never, you never got did to see him live. And, uh, and, and I always thought that's how I wanted to start with him, see him live, because I've got some friends who are massive fans, and they all keep saying, "You don't forget the records. You've got to go and see, see him, him live." live. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and obviously, I'm aware of Hallelujah and some of the the, the classics that he's classics, known for. Yeah. But I, I don't. I've never had a Leonard Cohen album. I was uh, always a Bob Dylan man. Yeah, I'm and the I same. always thought him as being you know, of the same ilk, and if you got one, you did need the other, but now, I, I, he's, as someone I, I admire, because I think he's become more popular in his, in the latter years than he was when he started out, and Possibly. I just feel like he's become a, a, a massive artist in the last 10 years, and, uh, and it's something that you can aspire to as myself, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm 57 now, and I can aspire to that, because I still want to well, he was in his 80s, so you've got, you've, got a, you've got a whole career in front of you, Mike. 
I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I say, I'm just, I've got one more question to ask. We're going to have uh, James Stevenson on the show in about half an hour. He's drawing the, the competition. Okay. Say that uh, big for me. Uh, will do. Um, got, the question is, uh, what is the link between James Stevenson, uh, Smiley, Craig Adams and, and Mark Taylor? Yeah, well, we, it's quite we a have tricky a great, one. We have a great uh, relationship as friends as well as musicians, yeah. and I think that's what keeps it really healthy. We, we're not living in each other's pockets. But when everyone you get lives, together... And, and everyone has their own freedom of expression outside the alarm. We're not all pouring it into the alarm. Yeah. James plays with Chelsea, with the International Swingers. He's just done uh, the Man Who Sold the World Tour with Tony Visconti. That's right. and, and, and doing the whole David Bowie thing. Smiley's on tour with Archive right now. I've got a new album out. Massive European band. Yeah. Craig's out with The Mission. Mark Taylor's doing something with Mick Jones and The Clash. Is he really? The wow. AD and not Rotten Hill Gang. Yeah, so everyone, when we get together, everybody's full of stories and yeah. full of influence and out, outside experiences. And, and it makes, and then, so when we come together as the arm, we all know that we're the five that have got a magic chemistry and, and, and everything else fuels into that. And it's, it's exciting, um, but we're not clingy of each other, if you know what I mean. So we can all go, we all go, we're the kind of band, we all go for a beer after the rehearsal yeah, and we're all good. laughing and joking. And we, and we carry that on into rehearsal and have a great, a great friendship. But there's, uh, you know, Mark's been with me since 1985. He's, you know, outside of myself, of he's course. the longest running member of the band, Mark yeah. Taylor. He's yeah. been in and out with us ever since. He was at the UCLA gig. He was at the band's reunited show in 2003. And he's part of what we've been doing with the Poppy Fields uh, and the future of the band. So he he's he spanned all aspects of what we do. And uh, you know, and James, I love James to bits. You know, he's one of my best friends. Great guitar player, rock and roll, and in you know, and yeah. he's he's a great guitarist, really versatile. And I'm sure you'll have a great chat with him there. Cool stuff. Last question, Martin McFadden. The burning question tonight, Mike. Who's going to win? Who's going to win at Wembley tonight? Is it a game on? I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> right, you're, you're dodging Saturday. that. You know, we, yeah. We've got the World Cup qualifier tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's hey, it. Hey, look, I, I, um, I, I, all I hope for, because <laughs> I'm a Welsh fan, is I just want a great game. I want a great game. Of course, I'd like to see Scotland win and beat England because I, you know, I could, it's like my, I could take the mick out of all my. Uh, you know, my kids playing football now, and half the dads are English guys who moved into North Wales. And there you got go. The team, I'll be having a right go at them next weekend. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Mike, thank you so much for your time tonight joining us on Cam Glen hey. Radio. Pleasure. Thanks and for having me on the show. Great stuff, and I'm just going to play the new single just now. You take care, pass on best regards to the Jules and all the family. I will. Thanks a lot. Cheers. You take care. Cheers now. Bye bye. You're tuned to 107.9 FM, Cam Glen Radio. Your voice, your music, your station. Another chap uh, I was managed to get on the show was Paul McGeekin. Paul, um, he actually popped in um, for about an hour. Um, he was on the way to see Jean-Michel Jarre. Um, and he said, oh, he said, Brian, I can't stay for the whole two hours. Um, but we get chatting. He was in to chat about his career Um about um, his first sort of solo album, um, Starless. So, as we chat with him and about working with Paul Buchanan. Your voice, your music, 
your station. I'm going ready. I'm faithless and fallen, careless and loving, deeper and dark your eyes in the rain I'm thinking of mostly This anytime storm A sense of departure Without loss or gain A star in the sky One shut down You're tuned to 107.9 FM, Cam Glen Radio. Your voice, your music, your station. 
Well, that's Starless. This is Brian Byrne. Uh, this is Cam Glenn Radio, 107.9. I'm joined in the studio tonight uh, by Paul McGeekin. Paul, thanks for joining us on Cam Glenn Radio. Uh, no problem at all. Thank you. Yeah. Um, see, that was off the your current album, Starless. That's yep, that's it. And I uh, had Mr Buchanan on there. Yeah, Paul Buchanan, yeah. quite. A, that was... That was good to start that way. Uh, yeah, someone played this recently and said, oh, Starless, by Starless, and it's called Star. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, uh, Paul Buchanan uh, from the Blue Nile, very lucky to get Paul involved in the record. Uh, he was actually the first vocal recorded for the album, so uh, I was pleased to, pleased that he did. And, and how did you get him involved? Asked him. It's <laughs> a simple answer. Well, no, you don't it, actually it, w- it wasn't as simple as that in a sense. I did. Uh, the track is actually quite old, or the essence of the track's quite old. Uh, I wrote it with a guy, Bobby Henry, who's a, a great producer, sadly died a couple of years ago. He worked with Jerry Burns and various people. Okay. And Bobby and I wrote it together, but it, we never finished it. And then I had a couple of people sing it, and it was usually girls that I had asked it just didn't seem quite to work mm-hmm. and then I thought if I was going to ask someone to sing this song who would it be and I thought it'd be Paul Buchanan mm. so I got his email contact from his manager via the manager and sent <laughs> an email and didn't hear anything yeah. for three months three months and then my brother-in-law uh, was at school in the same school as Paul and I said you know Paul could you ask? And he said, I can't give his number, you know. I said, that's fine, just that get into it. But then the next day, Paul phoned me. And I was like, wow. So we were talking and about it. And he was asking me about his record. He said, I'm sorry I didn't get back in touch quicker than this, but I've been, you know, whatever. And then he said, yeah, I'd love to do the track. So I got on the phone to my brother-in-law and said, how did you manage that? He said, I haven't spoken to him. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, because I, I did some gigs up in East Kilbride and, and I was always asking people, who, who do you want to see or what was the what, feedback? It would be great if you could get Paul Buchanan. And mm. I, I was like, well, okay, leave, it leave, might be tough. leave that with me. <laughs> well, he did get in touch and it was Craig Armstrong had recommended me to do something on Paul's record that he's working one. on. So no new one's coming out All next right, year. So. And that didn't quite work out just because of the timing, but then he, he said, oh, yeah, let me hear the song. They loved the song, so that was great. Good stuff. And, I mean, there's there's so many people on on the album. Tonight's show is about the sort of Scottish music scene. We're going to look at some of the current sure. music scene. We're going to look at some of the um, people who are probably... Um, our generation, Paul, I've been diplomatic. a bit younger than uh, me. Not, not much, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, and as I say, some of the people that's on your album um, is just fantastic. How, I mean, how did you go about choosing who you would work with? Well, I suppose as the project developed, one thing I had in mind was I thought, well, I'm going to ask people that I've worked with before and, and mm. you know, enjoyed working with and would like to again. And I thought, and I'm also... I'm going to ask people who I like that I've never had the chance to work with. And Paul was one of those, you yep. know. Uh, I remember Bobby Patterson from Love and Money yep. playing me the blue, first Blue Now album for the first time in 1985, so oh. it'd been out a year. And I thought, I want to be in that band, you know. It, so it was, uh, it was just an amazing record. Amazing so record. It, it's always stuck with me. So that's one of the things. I, I was trying to ask uh, Liz Fraser, and I tried to get to Liz for a year, okay. but uh, never quite managed that. So that's yeah. maybe for the next one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, but again, Liz, uh, one of my favourite. I mean, it just so happens a lot of them, you know, it's Scottish artists mainly. And yeah. it, that wasn't necessarily the intention when I started out. I mean, uh, but it's just the way it worked out. I so. mean, other people that are on it, um, 
Karen Matheson, yep. fantastic. Chris, so, I mean, yeah, there's a lot. I'm quite lucky. Yeah, with I'm my quite selection. lucky. <laughs> well, Karen uh, and I have worked together before. I've produced yeah. tracks for Karen. Obviously, Chris Thompson was in a band, Friends Again, Friends with Again. me way back, yeah. uh, early 80s. I've worked with Julie Fowles on her own albums. So a lot of those people do, I worked with before, but that's not necessarily s- to say that they would automatically say yes to doing the record because, as you know yourself, most artists have to like it before they, yeah. you know, yeah. they're going to commit to doing it. So, But I was very lucky. But, for example, Julie, we asked in January, and I think her first day was off, was October. Really? So you know, so she was very kind to give one of her few days off in the year to do it for me. So yeah, so for, good no, for her. Absolutely good yeah. for you. Good for me. No, <laughs> definitely. I mean, I, I, so I was interested. I mean, when I was reading about the album, it put down that it was your debut album. So yeah. does that suggest that there's going to be more to yes. come? Yes. It, it does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, w- I, I was going to boldly say I'm halfway through the next one, but I'm going to retract that and say I'm working on the next one. I've got a lot of it written, some of it recorded. Uh, I'm dead keen to get it out, but you know, it's, it'll be a good while away yet. Uh, Starless took two years for me to, to put together. So really? I'm hoping to put the next one out late next year. Yeah. If I can, you know, so I'm, but I'm quite excited about it. I've got other vocalists already on that one and stuff like that. I mentioned to you earlier, one of my friends, Graham Skinner, sings a couple of tracks on that, and, and that, so his voice is great as well. So, oh, you know, fantastic. Great. He's, he's got one of these voices he could sing, he could sing, he sing almost, it's such a melodic tone to his voice. Yeah, yeah. A great, great voice, um, you know, and I'm looking forward to his shows coming up as well. I'm going to go along to those. So. Yeah, I mean, Graham, I'm hoping he's going to be on the show on the 28th, all going things well. You know how yeah, yeah, yeah. schedules change. Yeah, yeah, um, he's hoping to come in and chat about the shows. Um, they're re releasing um, yeah, the, the first the album. On Cherry Red, I know. Yeah, yeah. it was 16 bonus tracks. Oh, is there? Oh. Sit back and wait. I remember being present when some of it was being recorded. I mean, Hipsway and Love and Money, lots of people get them confused. Uh, I wish we sold as many records as Hipsway. <laughs> I mean, I but mean, I think part of that comes from the fact that James Grant, singer from Love and Money, mm-hmm. sings very distinctly on two of the, the hits, uh, yeah. Ask the Lord being one of them. So yeah. you hear James quite clearly on it, and I think that's part of that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. so. I mean, I was, cause I was going to, I mean, again, part of tonight's show, Paul, is that we're looking at the Scottish Alternative Music Awards. Um, and, I mean, just now there's a um, a fairly buoyant music scene in Glasgow, sure, yeah, the central area. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask you about uh, the scene um, in, say, the mid uh, you know, early to mid-80s, where we had, you yeah. know, Hipsway, Love and Money, Aztec Camera, Delamitri, these kind of bands. Tons of bands, you know. Uh, what, what, what was the scene like? Was it a supportive scene? Was it competitive? Or? Well, it was always competitive. I would say it was supportive, but, it's, I mean, music is competitive and to a certain extent, uh, I think, in a healthy way. Yeah. In a healthy way. But mu- the Glasgow music scene in the 80s was fun. Yeah. You know, we were all... We were all just doing a thing and hanging out, and you know, so a lot of us were friends. You know, Hipsway and Love Money, close friends. And, yeah. Uh, but I, I think a lot of it came from you know post postcard. Yeah. Postcard being such a success. When I started friends again with Chris Thompson and my friend Neil Cunningham, we used to go and watch early Aztec Camera gigs. Like Aztec Camera was more my band than Honestly's. Yeah. Were. What were they called? Something blue. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I yeah. going back. Uh, no. But I used to go and see them all the time. And there was, you know, 
I don't know if they had a, 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 a maybe they had a bit of an influence on Friends Against Sound, but pre postcard we were listening to Joy Division and yeah. that kind of mm. thing, you know, and then and uh, Aztec Camera, and then out of that came you know Friends Again were there, and but but then so Friends Again the Bluebells, Bluebells, yeah, uh, toured together for you know a long time. Um, and then when Friends Again split up, we started Love and Money. There was a very che- big change in what we were doing musically. But, you know, it was it was great. There was yeah. just so many bands. And then, as you see, Del and Mitri. And then after that wave of bands, you had Bell and Sebastian, Mogwai, uh, all that stuff. You yeah. know, so this, it's just, it's continuous, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned you put uh, Love and Money together. Mm-hmm. Was there a, a point in the band... I mean, there's so many of the band songs that people identify with and they love, that mean so much to them. Sure. Was there a point in the band where you were writing the songs and thinking, this is really something? Or were you too in the middle of it to notice? Well, I, su- I mean, obviously, James Grant being the, the songwriter mm-hmm. for Love and Money, you know, Bobby and I would co-write occasionally, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a focus, you know, and that was one of the things that I think is really important for any band is having a, a songwriter as a, a, a focus. That was certainly James. Arrogance isn't the word. It's too strong. But there was a certain feeling about love and money that mm. it, we took ourselves seriously. Some people would say we took ourselves <laughs> too, seriously. <laughs> too seriously. But, uh, you know, the albums are what they are, and they're, they're all very much of a, a, a time. Someone was talking about Dogs in the Traffic, the third album. Yeah. You know, it's an album I can listen to and still be pleased with. Pleased with. Strange Kind of Love's an album I can listen to, and I like bits of that, and I'm pleased with that. First album, maybe not so much sure. from a production so- sound of it, yeah. but a couple of good songs on that, that record as well. It's funny, after a while you can go back to them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's f- When you're working on a record, love, uh, Strange Kind of Love took so long to make, and then we toured it for so long. Yeah. You kind of get fed up with the songs, but you can go back to them decades later and, and enjoy them. Enjoy them again. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, Brian Byrne here on Cam Glen Radio, 107.9. I'm joined in the studio by Paul McGeekin. Uh, he's in, he's talking to me tonight about his new album out in May this year, Starless. I'm going to play a, a, a track off that, Paul. Um, we were chatting off air about what, what to play off the album, and mm-hmm. uh, you kind of left, left it to me. And I, yeah, I picked yeah. this one. Um, uh, Misty Nights, what's, what's the background to that? Well, that's for me, that's an interesting track. It's actually one that seems to be quite popular with people. I maybe friends again kind of connection. I don't know. It was also interesting to me, it's one of the, the, the simple, most simple string arrangements mm-hmm. on there. So maybe that's the key is keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, sometimes I forget, yeah. yeah. But uh, for me, it was interesting because Chris Thompson sings it, and it was Chris that was in friends again with. So Chris and I became friends at school, started a band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last time Chris and I were in the studio before doing this was 1984, so we hadn't been in the studio together since 84. So that was interesting, it was great. You know, I had the music, I had some lyrics, I said to Chris, could you write this? And they really wrote the song around the story of our youth, being in Friends Again, where we hung out and yeah, writing, yeah. being a band. and oh, that. So it's kind of, it was actually quite emotional hearing it for the first time. Really? You know, so, so, that, so that's cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Right, I'll put that up and say, this is Misty Night by Starless.
with Horace Panther, the legendary bass player from the specials, um, and he agreed to come on and have a telephone chat about various bits of his career, about general public, about specials, so that was a real buzz for me to speak to one of my musical heroes um, on the telephone, this is uh, Horace Panther uh, from the specials. 
good stuff. I just wanted to drag you back to the music just for a wee second. Uh, mm. tonight, tonight, the programme we're doing the whole two hours is sort of celebrating, you know, ska, tuto, and kind of reggae and stuff like that. Um, I just wanted to ask you a, a little bit about uh, general public. Um, just wow. Yeah. Okay. Just uh, just after just after the it's specials. It's very rare that I get asked about general public. I just yeah. wanted to ask you. I mean, for for me as a, a kind of outsider sort of fan point of view. Um, the thought of that, I mean, Google describes it as a quasi-supergroup of UK punk ska mod scene, and it totally is. What, what was that like? Um, it was great fun. It was it was really good. I was very much a, like a, a, a hired hand, if you like. It was because um, the, the beat had worked tirelessly in America for about three years, and um, they'd released special beat service, yep. and, um, and then they split. Uh-huh. If they'd have stayed together, their next album would have cracked it. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced. Do you think it um, burnt out as well? Or was it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, I think they were, they were, they were yeah, I, 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 <laughs> groups, welcome to groups. Yeah. But Dave Wakeling and Ranking Roger um, wanted to form this, this this band, and they called it General Public, um, to sort of to capitalise on the sort of the success that, that the beat had had. So... Um, there was um, Stoker, who was in, in the original Dexys Midnight Runners, you know, Gino. Yeah, yeah we were stuff. playing that later. Um, 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 Mickey Billingham, who co-wrote Come On Eileen in the second incarnation of um, Dexys Midnight Runners, yeah, the two Rye A yeah. stuff. Um, totally. And, um, um, and, and me um, on bass. And it was a, it was a really good band. Um, the first album we did... Um, all the Rage was was really good. Did really well in America. We were kind of MTV darlings over there yeah. for like a, a, a year, a year and a half. And then our record company changed distribution from A and M to MCA, yeah. and MCA didn't really know what to do with it. And and so the the second album um, sort of sank pretty much, much without <laughs> trace, which was which was pretty much the end of the band. But it was a it was a great time and did a lot of very exciting concerts, mainly in America. Yeah. Um, but Dave and, and Roger were great employers. They um, put me on a wage, so I was able to buy my first house. Yeah, there you go. Um, which I bought in, in Coventry, which put me on the, the um, which gave me that first rung on the housing yeah, ladder. Yeah. And, and now I live in this really nice little house in, 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 in Coventry. You yeah. know? You're tuned to 107.9 FM, Cam Glen Radio. Your voice. Your music, your station. Earlier, uh, I played a clip um, of a chat I had with Mike Peters, um, and uh, I was lucky enough. I've been lucky enough to work with Dave Sharp. Dave is the guitarist from the Alarm, um, and Dave came in. Uh, he was doing a show for me in East Kilbride um, on the on the Saturday evening, and he, he agreed to come up uh, early uh, uh, and come on my radio show on the Friday night, the night before um, he came in for two hours, he played live um, and I'm going to play one of the tracks he played You know, live Cam Glenn session uh, a track called Looking This World Over, right after uh, this interview but first up I was chatting to Dave um, on air about um, his time in the alarm, about start his solo career, um, and about his stint within Stiff Little Fingers. This is Dave Sharp. Bless Good stuff. With a message in from Steve Jones. Uh, enjoy a uh, message to you, Dave. Enjoying the new live album here in the states. Uh, looking forward to some new music. Great live show as witnessed 
in New Orleans in 99. If you in New York, I was there, man. I was yeah, down yeah. on the bow for a long, good long one. Well, good long cool, one. man. Good stuff. Down um, in New Orleans East, East, cool. which is uh, just outside of town. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of mentioned uh, just before that track that uh, you know you've been, been in the business a while. Let's put it that way. But there you go again. I know, can, can you take yourself back to Dave Sharp? You know, when the, when Declaration was coming out and everybody was buzzing about the alarm, this new, big, high-octane, acoustic, massive sound. You, I mean, how, how did that feel at the time? Well, uh, simply amazing. I mean, what what you're gonna what you're gonna say? So, um, you know, we we um, coming from North Wales and heading on down to London like most young bands do, I guess. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, um, you're in the middle of a, you know, in the middle of a hurricane, basically. Yeah. And it's the, mo- it's the most amazing thing in the world, you know. And uh, what, what seemed to, um, what what seemed to, uh, what I've been able to carry away from that uh, over the years is that uh, that there's all kinds of chemistry going on mm. uh, when you make music. Yeah. You know? And and what and, and that has a great impact uh, in 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 the way that you grow. I think. You yeah, know? yeah. And um, and I'm re- very grateful for for the the amazing people that we had around us at the time, um, keeping 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 everything together. You know, and and uh, I'm very grateful for all the, all the great people that. Uh, that were there, the Wasted Talent and uh, Ian Flukes and Ian Wilson and the folks over at IRS that was uh, uh, Steve Tanner and Miles Coltland and uh, they all did a remarkable job of, of keeping us keeping us together and keeping us helping us to stay focused in the yeah. middle of all of that. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to have a crystal ball at that point, but we use, I mean, how confident were you as a group, a four-piece thinking, you've got something here, this sound we, is we, big every night. Well, it wasn't so much to do with that, it was it was sort of, I guess, seeing, feeling what was going on around us out there, you know, uh, I think the punk rock had just happened and then there was a... a a sense of everything starting anew and starting starting fresh, you know. Uh, so there was a lot of bands like us around, uh, you know, Big Country and the Bunny Man and yeah. uh, and the, but there and was some all, good p- all all kinds of very up and optimistic and hopeful stuff going around. That that really kind of gate that that we were feeling that and and it was a great foundation to build on and going on, you know, as as we got further into America and so, stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I mean, the first time I saw the alarm was um, I'll take you right back to the Glasgow Apollo. Uh, yeah, it's one of the first shows we, we did. Yeah, really. yeah, I mean, I went along with a good friend of mine, Stephen Williams, to see Stiff Little Fingers. That was the headline and, and whatnot. But there was this support band, the alarm. Yeah, yeah. So, and usually when you went to a gig, support band, you were kind of chatting and oh. But I mean, you guys blew us. It, it, it was full on. Blew us away. I mean, <laughs> no holes barred at I mean, all. My, my, my friend Stephen was on the show last year, and we spoke about the alarm. Well, it was. I was going the next day to the record shop and going, "Have you got, have you got a, a record by a band called The Alarm?" And she, like, yeah, she came out with, I think it was Stand, the Stand. The, it might have been marching on or the Ma- Stand. One yeah, of yeah. So we can we can away from. Well, that, that was an amazing event for us because um, you know Jake used to come down and see us a little bit in London and. Uh, we we kind of got all got to know each other a little bit. Is that and, how you got uh, the show? Uh, well, that that was the word that came down was that uh, Jake was going to do a final two shows. Final two shows before before uh, ca- calling it uh, with the fingers. Yeah. 
and he'd asked for the alarm to uh, to be at those shows, yeah. and and at both the shows he. You know, I think I think there was a there was there, there was a feeling there because we we we'd started in Wales, so there was a lot of that Celtic feeling going around, and I think there was something there between us and and Scotland when we got up there, which added fuel to the fire. It did and um, and Jake was amazingly gracious and said and and uh, when he was speaking with the crowd, he said, "Look, we're we're calling it a day, but these these are the guys you got to keep an eye on." And uh, and that was just uh, that that was a really important moment in the band's history, you know. Cool. And uh, James O'Neill, um, big alarm, big Dave Sharp fan. He's coming to the village in tomorrow night. He's asked me to ask you about the time you were in Stiff Little Fingers. Um, what's your recollection of, of that like, well, tour? Well, I'd been out in America, I think, for a couple of years um, after the alarm sort of uh, took a sabbatical, which is what we thought was happening at yeah. the time. And I went out to America, um, out to San Diego, and I got a call, um, I think it was one afternoon or early evening or something, it was Jake on the phone and said, look, you know, I'm short of a guitar player. And you're a guitar and, player. And uh, he said, well, exactly, he said, you're a guitar player, how about you hop on a plane and come and uh, do, you know, come and get on this tour with us. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's no way to refuse that, because Jake had, had pretty much got his going at the Apollo and the City Hall yeah, in yeah, Newcastle. Yeah. And uh, and and I said I'll, I'll be on the first plane out there. No? Nice one. And what was the chances of that being a permanent thing, or was it just ever going to be a one-off? <laughs> uh, it, it it was always going to be a one-off. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there was a little bit of talk about it. Um, uh, obviously, it was a huge uh, thing for me, and it was totally different uh, to to what I've been used to in the alarm, you know, and uh, an, an amazing experience. Um, and uh, and but after the tour, I I was due back in America, and uh, I forget what happened after that. I, I did go back, and we did uh, about a couple of months in Europe, I think, something like that. that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but hey, it's all any opportunity to hang out with Jake. Yeah, do not turn it down. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's a good man. He's a good man. Legendary. Um, I, I've been, Legendary. I've been going to see the St Patrick's Nights for the last twenty six years, and yeah. all, although the bones are getting older, it's never getting any. You know. Of course, uh, we hooked up again. Um, an agent called me up and said uh, we're. A man short on this tour, and um, it was uh, it was uh, the Men in Black. So oh. uh, there was Jake, Pauline Black, and um, uh, uh, um, Stranglers. JJ uh, Burnell. JJ Burnell, yeah. And JJ had broken his arm, and basically they wanted me to be JJ's stunt double. <laughs> you know, so um, I found myself in the middle of all this, hanging oh. out with Jake yet again, and that was that was another. I mean, that'd uh, be um, a kill cool too. That that was very very good. JJ Bunnell's stunt double. <laughs> nice one. Never thought never thought that'd be uh, on my on my CV. <laughs> Uh, Dave, I tell you what, thanks very much for, for joining us. I wanted to ask you, I mean, we could talk all night, really, we could. I wanted to ask you about uh, Hard Travelling, the album. It's, it's, I've said this to you before, but it's one of my favourite albums of all time. Um, how long after the alarm, you know, kind of, kind of um, took a break or whatever, um, did you go about putting that al- album together? Well, um, we'd kind of got an idea that we were going to take a break. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, we just finished. Um, we just finished recording the Raw album. Yeah. Um, up in Wales, uh, we we sort of like locked ourselves away for two or three months in, in North Wales, and when and uh, in yeah North Wales, and um, and after that we were going to take a break. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that was kind of what was on the, on the diary, you yeah. know. 
Uh, and um, I had, on the previous tour, I'd, I'd, um, I got invited to see a wee band out in New Brighton, a, a rockabilly trio out in New Brighton yeah. uh, called the Barnstormers. And uh, and I got invited up to play, and it was magical. It was absolutely magical. You loved it. Absolutely yeah. magical. And um, so once we knew we were going to take a break, I gave the fe- I gave the, the the fellas a call, and I'd been invited to do an album uh, for IRS um, on on the understanding that, that there was a break going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solo. And so um, I was very fortunate to. Um, uh, 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 um, find myself with a producer by the name of Bob Johnston, who was actually yeah, he, uh, he he was on on the sh- on a shortlist to to do the Raw album, yeah. and, um, and we went ahead and decided to do it ourselves. But I gave Bob a call, and um, so I ended up in the Hit Factory with with with, nice. with a young band out a young band out in New Brighton who'd never been outside the the cross the state line before, Fantastic. and so we found ourselves in the Hit Factory in New York City with Bob Johnston, poss- possibly. The greatest producer ever, yeah. and uh, and that was a hell of an experience, uh, and um, and w- and we made hard travelling. You're tuned to 107.9 FM Cam Glen Radio. Your voice, your music, your station. All right, let's give it a shot. Let's see what we got here. My name is Davy Sharp It is from Salford City I have come I've been looking this world Over some up and down races I have run Now some days I get more eerie Oh Lord, some days I can hardly do no wrong As the good times are good so The hard times are hard It's a wonder sometimes How I get along Looking this world over I left upon a cargo ship I headed across the great Atlantic Sea With fourteen days of thunder, rain and raging So black I could not see I barely heard the captain say now two days Ah yes, two nights in America you'll be But it's a long, long way to San Francisco Bay With the rolling of the decks beneath your feet Looking this world over High and low Up in the state of Colorado I saw mountains high and valleys low and long And a blizzard wind that'll get you No matter if you're weak or you are strong Don't you know it sure Sure is something 
to sit and watch and stare down at the Colorado run as the water rolls through to the mighty ocean blue. It's a shame if you should be moving on. Looking this world over High and low And low You know I took me a good gal She said San Diego It gonna be the place for you She had diamonds in her head she cried, put a tears on morning mountain dew I met her on a Friday Oh, loud by Saturday Well, she loved me the best Now many other days Many other nights I remember how the stars look in the west Looking this world over High and low I said fare thee well now dear Fare thee well For New York City I'll be bound With 500 miles of Texas and I had 1,000 miles of desert ground Well I swear before too long I shall return or to the place I love the most Past Mexico, over the Ohio Riding on that high road for the coast Looking this world over Looking this world over Looking this world over You're tuned to 107.9 FM, Cam Glen Radio. Your voice, your music, your station. Another guest I've had in a few times is Jim McDermott. Now, Jim's been on my show three times, um, and it's not enough. He's got stories. He's a real raconteur of music. He's been in so many bands, and he's been one of my favourite guests over the last number of years. Um... Uh, and this time he was on, I uh, asked him about uh, uh, getting the the drum still to play with Hipsway. This is Jim McDermott on Cam Glen Radio. Um, joined in the studio tonight, drumming royalty, um, <laughs> Jim McDermott. Jim, thanks for joining me tonight. Not at all, Brian, it's a pleasure. Whatever possessed you, inviting a drummer into <laughs> a radio station. I tell you, uh, uh, I think it was uh, just before Christmas at uh, Kevin's gig, um, I sort of sidled up to you, you didn't have a taser ready, and I said... That's, that's the truth. Uh, I says, uh, <laughs> I says, do you want to come on my show? And I got you a moment of weakness, and you went... 
Ah, uh, why not? That must have been the, the fourth <laughs> vodka with um, Red Bull Chaser, you know, I think. That's where it must have been. I think that's always the best time to make decisions. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know, I said yes all the way, so uh, that's absolutely. fine. And here I am. Yeah, here you are. So thanks very much for joining me. We're going to try all, and pick our way through um, your career, various different bands. Um, we've got two hours to do it. Don't know if that'll be enough, but... Well, two hours, five minutes. <laughs> we're not precious here. We're not precious. So <laughs> we kicked off with the Arctic Monkeys. We were just chatting about them off air. Um, yeah, as you were thinking, you were saying they were one of the first kind of internet YouTube bands. Yeah, yeah I remember um, just when I was thinking about, you know, uh, what is YouTube? What, what exactly is it? Uh-huh. Um, you know, the Arctic Monkeys suddenly appeared and they were saying that that was the first... Um, bit of talent, you know, discovered on with a, a career from YouTube, yeah. just putting their uh, their own demos and little videos on YouTube. I know it's amazing, absolutely I mean, amazing. They got themselves from <coughs> zero, from virtually zero to this cult following on their own steam. Which, Absolutely, which is amazing, and it's a real, um, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure you, you you know it from your whole career, promoting what you do, letting people know where you are and what you're, you're it's, about. It's the hardest thing, and even in the famous musicians uh, I know, um, mm. the hardest thing in the world to promote yourself. Yeah, it's mm. the because you know you've got it, but how do you actually tell people about it? This is it without seemingly being, you know. Fool yourself or yeah, big headed or something, but look at me, look at me. I'm <laughs> totally, I'm totally uh, opposite. I just love myself, you know. Well, so. <laughs> I'm the same, I'm the same. I've got t shirts made up. I love myself. <laughs> um, so, as I say, thanks for joining me. We're going Not to k- kick around your career in no particular order. I've got some, mm-hmm. que- some questions that have been fired at me kind of all week via Twitter Fantastic. and Facebook. Um, people, can, you can get in touch tonight if you want to email in, and you can ask uh, Jim virtually anything, anything as long as it's legal. <laughs> um, Listen, you, I've only got fifty quid on me to uh, pass out to these people, so thanks a, enough. That's a lot, right? Okay. Um, so, uh, studio at camglenradio.org. Now, last year, um, I was lucky enough to have Graham Skinner on the show, and uh, he was in for a, a two-hour chat. And the big buzz at the time was Hipsway were going to be getting back together. Um, how did you get that call? Well, you know what, Brian? Uh, it was the beginning of November or just at the end of October, I think. And Graham, I knew Hipsway were getting back together, but mm. I didn't know what was going on really. And um, Graham sent me a quick email just to say, would I be interested if it did come up, mm-hmm. you know, the, the drumming vacancy? And uh, I said, oh, yeah, of course, you know, mm-hmm. I'd love to. Mm-hmm. Because um, I actually told him that, I think it was 1986, uh, my friend uh, next door to me and, you know, my mum and dad's house, <clears throat> he said, look, I've got a ticket to, you know, for the Hipsway show tonight at the Pavilion and it's Hipsway and this other band called Swing Out Sister. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought... Oh, that sounds great, you know, uh-huh. go along and see them because yeah. the album at that time had just been out uh-huh. uh, the very first Hipsway album and we went along and we had a, a great time, I thought they were a fabulous band I know, just great, great sound, I mean Graham's uh, got a, an amazing voice, he can sing <coughs> virtually anything 
Um, and what an attractive man, you know. So well, yeah. I mean, we had a marriage proposal uh, to him <laughs> when he was on my show, and he, he, somebody looking for his phone number oh, as dear. well, um, which we didn't give out. We're, we're very, very ethical here. I, I don't have a, even have his phone number, Brian. Uh, there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> um, yeah, but a great guitar sound. Um, yeah. So I mean, so what? What was that like for you? I mean, did you just pick up the, the first album and listen to it back to back, or did you know it? Or I, you know. It's funny though because once you say you know something, <clears throat> you kind of know it the way uh, you, you kind of it's endeared to you rather than actually technically. Mm -hmm. So when you get into rehearse, you've got to know technically as well, yeah. which is the hardest part uh -huh. because uh, you think you know a tune, and then you go and you think, oh, that's what that song does there, and mm -hmm. oh, or does that at the end, and yeah. oh, well, I forgot about that. But so you kind of you've got to really listen to the album again over and over but picking all the drum parts out which is actually sometimes the you know is a bit of the worst part of it because then you you dissect the song then because and you're dissecting it for your your own profession and, and is there any temptation to go well actually you could have done this slightly different i'm not saying better slightly. well no i, I think um, <laughs> was there any latitude like that definitely definitely was uh, uh you know i, I didn't I didn't want to, you know, let down the fans as well by playing something completely different. <laughs> because I, I know that, where's you know... It, where's it going to this? Exactly, you know, because I, I know some, you know, bands in the past have just went on and had this kind of almost like cabaret show of their last albums. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, to me, that I'm a bit of a purist that way. I love hearing records no. as, as they were actually recorded or close as. Uh, technically possible on stage. No, absolutely. And I mean, when I was lucky enough to go, I think I went on the Friday. Um, yeah, I think it was the Friday I went. Um, and the look in your face, you were just, you, you were like, I would imagine how I would have been if I was to play any part of that gig. Yeah. The smile on your face was like, I don't, this is just amazing. And it was an amazing show. I was saying to you off air, the whole the way they framed it up with, all the kind of, you know, bird's eye, Findus, pancake adverts totally, before, yeah. and it yeah. was really, really cool. And they're doing an, another show this year, or are they doing more shows this we're year? Gonna, we're going to actually do a small tour, which will be a bit of a first for Hipsway in, yeah. what was it, how many years, 30 years? Yeah. But I think we're doing a show in London, uh, in Islington. Um, can't remember the name of the venue. I need to go and double-check that one. Yes. And then we have... Uh, Kelvin Grove Bandstand Which sold out sold out and yeah exactly I think they were I mean I, w I was pretty amazed as well as the, the other band members um, so that sold out uh, and uh, as you say maybe eight was, hours or something yeah, yeah I mean because the ones last year it was only supposed to be the one night that's right yeah and the Saturday night and I was I had tickets to go and see the alarm on the Saturday okay. night and I was like oh geez, what do you do here because Hipsway as you say have not toured for 30 years yeah, and I've seen the alarm like a hundred times, and I'm like, oh! But by the time I dithered, it was gone. You know, the t the tickets were away. I know, I know. It was and really... I'm like, then you seen Graham on Twitter. He says possible second night. So I was sitting there waiting. Yeah. To you, and, and then the, the the day they went on sale, I'm like, you know, this geek at nine a.m. <laughs> hit the button, send. You're tuned to 107.9 FM Cam Glen Radio. Your voice, your music, your station. Yeah, that was Jim McDermott um, talking about his um, getting the opportunity to play with Hipsway. Um, I've had Graham Skinner, who is the lead singer of Hipsway, in a couple of times. 
uh, one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet happy to chat very very um, quick couple of hours with Graham uh, as he's been on a couple of times uh, uh, but this time uh, I asked him about a couple of things um, him hooking up with uh, Joe Strummer and The Clash and his Watertown project which is a Frank Sinatra thing he did uh, put an album out and did a show um, this is uh, Graham Skinner on Cam Glen Radio Graham, I read somewhere that you had previously worked in the Rock Garden I was wanting to ask you about that were you involved in the night that The Clash came to the Rock Garden? I had left the Rock Garden by that point Okay, but uh, they came up and I mean I went to see they, they played it they did a gig at the uh, Barrowlands I think wasn't it? Yeah. But uh, they came into the bar that we were drinking in what up the West End called a cul-de-sac uh-huh. and had a pint and then we went down to Duke's Bar with them right. and they played a wee but they did a wee set there and uh, they were they were messing about outside and some woman stuck her head out and said she was calling the police <laughs> and they started playing uh, I Fought the Law uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was great they were, you know, so they armed with guitars and all that aye, they had guitars and, and somebody had drums the guy it wasn't you know it wasn't topper but uh, he'd have a set of sticks and he was hitting whatever he could <laughs> no absolutely no um, yeah, I went. I, I, I mean, it was it was back in the day before like, social media, and I mean, a sort of message came around. You know, people phoned your mum's house, kind of deal, and you know, we heard the clasher coming in. It was before even mobiles, so we all headed into the uh, the rock garden, and there was like four hundred people trying to ram into this. We yeah. so there must have been some truth in it. We were like, they, they probably were going to do it, and then they the, thought, because they did do. Went, they did go to a couple of other places the night before that they probably, they probably couldn't get in the door to be honest because I remember the manager of the place was just like um, having a nervous breakdown I thought he thought they were going to dismantle the rock garden I mean I wouldn't be surprised if it was us that said they should come down the rock garden the next day you know because we were like talking to them <laughs> it was your fault <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I know no, we could do this one I've got a few questions for you Anne-Marie McGregor it says, please ask Graham about the recent Watertown gig project and how did that come about and how did you enjoy that? Oh, right, so uh, Watertown is uh, it's the last, it's one of the last albums Frank Sinatra made. In fact, he retired after he made it mm-hmm. and then he came back from retirement later on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many albums that guy made, but it was in a hell Phenomenal. of a um, And it's a, it was like a kind of concept album. Yeah. Uh, it's like what they call a suite of songs, yeah. um, written by the by these two guys. Um, one of them uh, wrote uh, "Cherry Baby" and stuff like that for mm. the Four Seasons. He was a keyboard player. On the so four amazing seasons. songwriters out at that yeah. time, wasn't there? Unbelievable. So he wrote these songs with with a, a lyricist for Frank, um, because Frank was pals with Frankie Valley, uh-huh. and Frankie Valley put him in touch with these guys. So they did this. He did this album and. It, I think at the time it sold 40,000 copies, which for Frank Sinatra is like, mate, it's well no bother. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he retired after that, it's 1969, something like that, mm. 70. Um, and it, so it's like one of these albums that not a lot of people know. It's got a bit of a cult following if you're a true status. Fan. And it's, it's got a website devoted to it. To the one called album? Waterology. Right. 
or, or water, I think it's Watertown Holiday or something like that. Anyway, um, me and my pal, me and Douglas, have always been kind of slightly obsessed with it yeah. for quite a while, maybe 20 years or something. Mm-hmm. And we always talked about just doing it, let's yeah. just do it, and then we'll get a chance to do it. So we thought, I've, I've kind of done a version, an electronic version, that's like Human League, early Human League mm-hmm. kind of thing, but yeah. um, I just did that in my, my wee home studio. But we did a proper live band version yeah. uh, for the Glasgow Jazz Festival um, last June, end of June, at St Luke's, and it was one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done. No, it's a cracking, what do you think of the venue? Really, for that, for what we were doing, it was just perfect. Perfect, I know. I've been at a couple of gigs there, and it, I mean, the atmosphere and the setting um, for certain things would be is just spot on. I think it's well, great. Uh, Stephen McQueen, who you spoke about earlier, he, yeah. he recorded it on his uh, his iPhone. And, uh, other phones are available. <laughs> um, in fact, I recommend you use a different one. Uh-huh. But uh, it sounds brilliant. The sound of the room was fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Get great acoustics in it, and it would be brilliant for a, like a live DVD if you if you were ever going to do that. Yeah. It would look sensational. Properly recorded, it would yeah. look sensational. Uh, we want to do. We, want, we really want to try and do a proper recording of it, which would probably be live. It wouldn't yeah. like be over. I, mean, I know the album's um, out just now. It was just recently put out. Was it August or what? The the, the, the Watertown album just came out. Was it August or what? My version. Uh-huh. I've got. A, I'm not really allowed to release it properly. Are you not. Because I've not had proper permission. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've said too much. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, it is available on Bandcamp via my Bandcamp website. So. Right, okay, you never, you never heard that here. You're tuned to 107.9 FM Cam Glen Radio. Your voice, your music, your station. Burn, 
This is uh, Brian Byrne here on Cam Glen Radio. Um, this is a best of, sort of, <laughs> in my opinion, interviews and snippets from the last few years. Um, I, earlier I had a clip from Mike Peters, I've had Dave Sharp, um, both from The Alarm, uh, and as I say, just going to finish off this show with a, a little bit of the interview uh, I did with. Uh, Eddie McDonald, who was the co-songwriter with Mike Peters in the the original lineup of the Alarm bass player, but he's uh, asked him a little bit about Small Town Glory, which is his new band, and about his time within the Alarm. This is Eddie McDonald. Yeah, slightly technical problem there. Hopefully, I'll have Eddie McDonald from the Alarm on the line with us now. Hello, Eddie. Uh, Brian, how are you? I'm great. I'm sorry about that. It's like technical problem here in Glasgow. Must be the, the weather that we've had this week. <laughs> uh, first of all, thanks very much for joining us um, uh, tonight. All things alarm. Alarm is the artist of the week. But I wanted to start off by asking you a wee bit about um, your most recent musical journey, uh, Small Town Glory. How did that come about? Ah, it's through songwriting. I'm, I must admit. Um, since uh, Mike and I parted company sort of um, a few years ago, it was great just to write songs again. And um, I put a whole load of songs together and a friend of mine said to me, look, I want to sing those with you. And I went, give it a try and see how we come on, you know, get it together. Had and you, had, the mate Charlie joined us and that was it. So Small Town Glory was born. Had you not been writing at all in between um, leaving, finishing work with Mike and recently or did you have a big backlog of stuff? No, it, it literally, it just came basically over basically a couple of weekends. I mean, I've always played guitar, like m- most things, you know, I love playing guitar, and I, re- I sort of really miss doing shows and things, and um, just started writing songs, and I had my guitar sitting in the corner, it was gathering dust, picked it up, and then literally, the moment I did, I, did, I didn't stop. And and do you so, have, 
Uh, did you? Yeah. Do you I mean, I mean, do you, do you have like a number of songs sitting waiting uh, for future releases? Yeah, well, at the moment we're about to start working on um, part two. Um, we've got quite a lot of songs sort of ready to go, and um, basically to get, getting ourselves ready to hopefully do a debut in March next year. So um, we've just got a new drummer on board, and so basically we're sort of up and ready to go, which is really exciting. Uh, are we hearing a debut in terms of live shows, or? That's it. Yeah, it, we are indeed. Fantastic. We're going to make an announcement. I think it's going to be early next week. Um, at the moment, we, we, we're probably going to start off with just one show, do our first show, and then look into possibly doing lots of festivals and bits and bobs um, come the following summer. Yeah, a good friend, a friend of mine, Jamie McMonagall, got in touch uh, to ask if uh, there was any plans for uh, plans for live shows. So it's fantastic. Was it easy for you to put the band together? Was there people close to you that sort of fell into place, yeah. or did you go looking? No, I mean, that, my, that Paul, um, the singer, has been basically, um, he's been my friend for donkey's years. He's, he's a really lovely guy, and he's, you know, he's, um, I love his voice, and uh, I've seen him play live, and he's great live. I, I just wanted to have a band that would be really good live as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all very well writing songs, but trying to write songs with live performance in mind. I mean, you can't not have been in the alarm and want to play live, because the alarm is a great band to go and see live. And uh, that's the sort of essence I want to capture in Small Town Glory. That be a great live act, but with songs that are unique to Small Town Glory. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, uh, part of the, the 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 brilliance of the Alarm was not only the songs which everybody enjoyed, um, but the event, the live event, was was just electrifying. It was such a, a brilliant experience. And we were lucky because we honestly were gifted some great shows. Um, I believe the show that you were at was um, the Stiff Little Fingers at Glasgow Apollo. I mean, Jake and the boys were fantastic to us. They were great to give us their final two shows of that period. Yeah. And obviously not forgetting you two and also Big Country. I mean, bands that, you know, we'd loved and then offered us, you know, support shows at a really important in time in the Alarms career. We were just gifted and we were so grateful for the support. But I think all the bands, I mean, the common thread between you and all of the bands was they were all brilliant live performers. They played so well in front of an audience. Yeah, they started from the ground up, and they were they were genuine bands. You know, they wasn't they weren't hyped. You know, they literally worked their asses off to get where they were. Yeah, and um, that proved it in the live shows. And that you're just talking about some of the best live bands you know Britain's ever produced. Without a doubt. Um, I mean, the Ten Commandments that come out this year, obviously on. Um, at iTunes and you put the EP out um, you did it through the pledge was that something you, you, that you thought was important uh, to get the, the people involved in terms of the release? It was because basically um, we financed the record ourselves and um, then we decided to do a pledge because they had a really good platform to reach people I, yeah. mean, I mean it's best some, when technology really works well is when it can get the message out and um, Pledge was really brilliant in that because people could see what we were doing, talking about how we were going to do it. Because uh, we'd already made the record, so most people try and do Pledge now before they do an event or yeah. make a record. But we yeah. did it, made the record first, and I felt confident that people could get into the record once they hear it. Um, and some of the, some of the reviews, yeah, some of the reviews, um, the, the comments that I've seen. Um, you know, it was just unbelievable. Uh, although I did, I did get one question from Steve Green, um, one of the listeners. He wanted to know why Third Light didn't make it onto the actual, you know, the hard physical EP copy that 
you know, oldies like me and him want to take home and file away and that kind of thing. Oh, what was the thoughts there? Well, the honest answer was, originally we wanted something special for everybody who pledged towards the record. Yeah. So they'd have something themselves, and it was the way of having the electronic interaction between people. So people could download the EP, or they could buy a physical copy, yeah. a physical CD, and um, or a vinyl. So basically, it was something that it was, to, it was to bring us closer together. So it's not trying to say this small sound glory. I wanted to be uniquely small sound glory, but obviously with digital, you can be a little bit more flexible with it as well. And uh, that was the reasoning behind it. Cool. I mean, I wanted to ask you a bit in between. You, you mentioned it earlier on, but you know, in between finishing up with Alarm and obviously Small Town Glory, uh, and, and we all know that you, you've, I mean, your career um, went into photography. What, what, what was the thought process there? How, what, what made you move away from music into that that area? I mean, when the band sort of broke, um, I wanted to go and do something else, and I came up with an idea about doing a book on tattoos. And literally, I spent six months in the British Museum just going through the whole history and heritage of tattoos and realising I had an idea for a book, and um, but I would need to do the work myself. So eventually I ended up going back to college and retrained. So I started again from scratch. Amazing. Um, and I worked with some great photographers that we'd worked with with the band. Yeah. And they were really supportive. And I could see what I was trying to do. And it's just like a mission. You just go off and do one yourself. And... Um, basically ended up making a career out of it which I you know thoroughly have most music and photography in in my sort of um, you know creative element is just a, a dream come true really because I love both I mean you see that a lot creative people in the music business I mean they've got that sideline of you know uh, either photography or painting or you know creative side uh, to yeah. it uh, yeah great stuff um, I couldn't have you on the line um, without asking you about uh, Euro t- Euro 2016. How did that work out for you? Yeah, uh, to quote Bill Hicks, they had to get me off the ceiling with a rake. Oh, really? So high at that point. Um, yeah, it was, just, it was incredible. I must admit, I've waited all my life. I remember years ago, um, Mike and I were sitting um, in the opposite end of some of your boys that are in Scotland, mm-hmm. in, in a certain ground oh, really? in Cardiff. And oh, no. um, we'd already written the song that was going to be the World Cup song for Wales. We'd already talked to Mike England at the time, saying, we've got this song, we're going to do it for Wales. And, uh, of course, it didn't happen. <laughs> I feel you're going to hang up. So, that. finally, after year, all those years of pain, um, we finally got the game, which is great. So, are you working on the World Cup tune for uh, 2020? We'll see what we can do. Absolutely. I mean, uh, who knows? <laughs> Uh, as I say, tonight uh, we're celebrating all things Alarm. Every week we have an Artist of the Week, and, and this week it's, it's going to be the Alarm. I just want to ask you a couple of quick questions about the band. Um, from your own point of view, um, l- looking back, is there any particular highlight um, f- from your time in the Alarm? Yeah, I suppose the one thing that really stood out, I mean, we, we did a free show in Los Angeles. I mean, we played some great venues and great audiences around the world. We're very, very fortunate to travel a lot. Um, but we did a, a free show that was televised all around the world. It's the first ever global broadcast on MTV. It's called um, at UCLA, and it's called the sort of Spirit of '76 or Spirit of '86. In the end, it became, and um, that was probably one of the greatest moments in my life because it was just all of us. It, it was accumulation of everything we'd achieved as a band at that point, mm-hmm. and uh, just amazing. And also, that's going to somehow tie into the gig that um, Small Town Glory are going to do uh, in March next year. We're going to announce it, where it's going to be, and also it's got a link to that as well. 
Fantastic. So any alarm fans out there, you want to keep your ears open and eyes open for that yeah. one. I think it's, there's, there's something really special going to happen. Um, uh, so, I mean, that was it. But also playing the Queen at Wembley, and everybody goes, sometimes as a support band, you go, who would you like to support? Well, I think playing with Queen was one of the, the, the greatest moments, actually. That's one of their few final shows. And you walk out at Wembley and it's like, wow. Yeah, it was amazing seeing, walking out and seeing the Twin Towers at the time. And that was just, yeah, it's absolutely astounding. Um, yeah, dream come true. And you've written so many classic songs uh, over the years. Um, do you, uh, for the alarm, do you have any particular one that stands out? Um, it's strange because I, I, I'm probably the biggest critic of, of the music as well, as, as well as I love it. And um, I remember on the first album, one of the songs I loved was called Howling Wind, but I don't think the song was as good, anywhere near as good as it was live. Yeah. I always say that. And so I wrote another song called Soul Me Down the River, which was my rewrite of Howling Winds to make it sound better. Um, and we recorded that with Tony Visconti. Um, you know, he produced T-Rex, then Lizzie and Bowie. And um, I think that's probably one of my favourite songs, actually. Nice Especially bit, live. It was, yeah, a nice bit of guitar from Mr. Sharp on that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It rocked. I loved that song. And it was just, it just was great to play live. But sometimes, you know, you have favourite songs for different reasons. I mean, probably on that um, album, was, um, Corridors of Power is probably one of my favourite songs on that record. It's, it's probably one of my favourite songs of all time. Yeah, I'll have that lined up for a wee bit later on the show. Um, I'll tell you what, Eddie, I know you're pressed for time. Um, I'll tell you what, I just want to thank you for taking the time out to speak to us at Cam Glenn Radio. Um, it's a pleasure. And, no, and thanks for having me. Yeah. Keep I just say hi to everybody listening, and, um, you know, thanks for your support over the years. It's been it made a hell of a lot. Great stuff. I'll never forget my barrel lamp days, that's all I can say. I'm still shaking. Shaking. Uh, I mean, it was all, as I, I said to one of my colleagues before I came on air, I said, if you'd told me in um, sort of 1984, uh, 5, 6, 7, uh, the barrel lamps, I'd be speaking to Eddie McDonald on, on the radio. I'd have said you weren't off your head. So, um, pl- personal pleasure for me. I'm going to play Soma Down the River. Um, and as a thank you for your time, keep in touch. Let us know what's happening with Small Town Glory, and we'll keep keep the word out there and high profile for you. That's marvellous. Many thanks, and good luck to everything. Thanks again. Great stuff, Eddie. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks, Bye. Brian.
You're tuned to 107.9 FM, Cam Glen Radio. Your voice, your music, your station. Yeah, that was Sold Me Down the River by The Alarm. Uh, Earlier in the show, I was, I played an, an interview I did with Eddie McDonald, a telephone interview. It was a real privilege for me to do that. I spoke about his career in The Alarm, uh, about his new band, Small Town Glory. Um, check them out on their Facebook page. Um, Jamie McMonigle adds me to play a Small Town Glory track. Delighted to do that for uh, you, Jamie. Uh, this is... Um, a third light on Cam Glen Radio. That's me, just about done for another week. Thanks for joining me. I've David Blair from Colonel Mustard. We were just chatting offline. He's going to finish with a quote, a Bill Hicks quote that we were chatting about offline. Yeah. 
The world is like a ride in an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. The ride goes up and down, around and around, it's frills and chills, and it's very brightly coloured, and it's very loud, and it's fun, for a while. Many people have been on the ride for a long time, and they begin to wonder, hey, is this real, or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us and say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because it's just a ride. And we kill those people! Shut him up. I've got a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. But it's just a ride. Have you ever noticed we always kill the good guys who try and tell us that? You ever notice that and let the demons run amok? But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. And we can change it any time we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings or money. Just a simple choice right now between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks in your doors, buy guns, close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. So here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money we spend on weapons and defence each year and instead speed it, spend it feeding and clothing and educating the poor of the world, which it would pay for many times over, not one human being excluded, and we could explore space together, both inner and outer, forever, in peace. Hi, this is Jinky. And this is Joe from Caesar. And you're listening to Brian Byrne, Music in the Key of Life show on Cam Glen Radio.
Okay, that's me for uh, another week. Thanks for joining me on your Friday night. Uh, it was tonight's was a kind of mashup of interviews I've done over the last few years on this show. Next week, I'm looking forward to welcoming the Bluebells in to talk about their brand new album, Bluebells in the 21st Century. Uh, so uh, you can join me for that. I'm going to finish uh, with a little bit of Talking Heads, uh, take you into your weekend, stick around for Steam Payton, top of the hour. And I'll be back with you next week. This is Talking Heads uh, and, and she, as she was. Bye for now. Drifting through